You know, digital is a topic, of course, everyone is discussing these days, especially within community banking. We've seen digital transformation become one of the top priorities and something that came out of the survey as being something that keeps our CEOs up at night. There has been incredible change in mass culture around investing. Accessibility has never been higher. What's top of mind for every client is the incredibly challenging times that we're going through right now. Work is on trial. Every business has had to adapt the way that they work and how they work over the last two years. We know employee experience is something we need to focus on, but where do we even begin? Banking is a risk business, but in today's environment, we are being faced with uncertain times. Financial institutions have always had partners who could help evaluate, address, and mitigate risk, but today they need to lean on those partners more than ever. Welcome to Bank on Whitfleet. Each episode will feature discussions around industry issues, hot topics, and current trends, giving you an insider's look at how top performers and professionals are staying ahead of the curve. All right, let's get into today's conversation. Welcome, everyone. Our podcast today is about blockchain and cryptocurrency, seeking to understand the recent market. With me today is Dr. Sean Stein-Smith. Dr. Stein-Smith is an assistant professor at Lehman College in the City University of New York, a contributor to Forbes on crypto and blockchain. He is the AICPA's Outstanding CPA of the Year for 2022. He was voted one of Accounting Today's top 100 most influential people in accounting. He is an E.C. Harwood Visiting Research Fellow at the American Institute of Economic Research and is on the Board of Advisors for the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance, among many other accomplishments. Dr. Steinsmith, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Robert. Happy to be here. We were able to meet at the Alinea Global Financial Institution Roundtable in Tampa, and I'm so excited to have you discuss cryptocurrencies, digital assets, and everything surrounding them uh, that you bring to this discussion. Uh, we know that crypto and digital have been in the news, and many of our listeners are wondering about the implications. To begin with, Dr. Steinsmith, would you provide our listeners some information about you and how you got involved in this area? Absolutely. And so on top of my, my sort of current background, current roles, how I actually got here. So so I've been in the higher education sort of writing corporate training space really since about 2016 or so. And then prior to that, I worked in, in industry for about eight and a half or so years. I'm a CPA by background training expertise. And actually, I I first heard of the term blockchain, Bitcoin, in a real material way, I would say probably in the back half of 2015. As I was finishing up my PhD research, I, I heard of blockchain, sort of came across it and said, all right, awesome stuff, very cool, but I have to wait, right? And so it's so a really, I would say really since about 2016. I've been really hands-on, uh, you know, trying to learn and communicate about it as much as I possibly can, because it really is a fast-moving space, very interesting, and it really is altering at a very fundamental level every aspect of accounting, finance, and how markets work. Certainly, and we do appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and sharing your background. Um, 
and hopefully I got all of your credits correctly <laughs> at the beginning of this. Yes, show. you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. That was a mouthful. So that was a good job. <laughs> all right. To begin, all of our listeners have seen the recent news about the cryptocurrency market or digital asset market. Dr. Steinsmith, can you talk a little bit about where crypto and digital assets are today? How much time do we have? No. Um, <laughs> now, as, as, now, as much as you want. <laughs> um, no. So, so in in terms of the direction of the overall crypto asset space, on the one, so probably the the first thing that I always try to say is that it's important to to break out Bitcoin versus other uh, assets in this space. That Bitcoin is kind of an asset on its own island. It acts like a commodity, trades like a commodity, and is also treated as some sort of uh, inflation hedged by some or the currency of the future by, by others. And so I do believe that Bitcoin has an important role to play in the health and the viability of the overall crypto asset landscape, but it's awfully tough to try to put any price targets on that, and especially uh, in the current and the macro environment. So, so I'll put Bitcoin off to the side for now. Now, in terms of the overall health of the broader crypto asset space, even though prices are obviously off their all-time highs, it really is a very interesting time to be uh, in this space, right? That basically every large institution from from private equity funds, Wall Street banks, pension funds, commercial banks, retail banks, uh, and whole countries are actively allocating capital and people to building out products and services connected to blockchain and or crypto assets. And so on the one hand, yes, absolutely, you know, um, the current crypto winter is definitely underway. But in terms of uh, institutions and enterprises and entrepreneurs building out products and services and, and ultimately having a better understanding of how to use blockchain and crypto is on the rise. So overall, I'm optimistic going forward. There are going to be some bumps um, as we sort of end 2022 and enter 2023. But ultimately, I'd say after the next 12 to 18 months, it's, it is a generally positive outlook. Great. So can you give a picture in, in your uh, experience of maybe what the long term looks like or how that understanding and how to use these uh, new asset classes, I guess we could uh, call it, or tools, what that looks like to you. Sure. And so it really is critical to uh, sort of further bifurcate any conversation around crypto and or underlying blockchains, right? That there is going to be an absolute uh, enterprise appetite for blockchain, for healthcare records, real estate records, title uh, records educational records, basically any piece of information that one, has to be trusted, two, really shouldn't be updated all that often, if ever, and three, has to be accessed and trusted and shared by a large number of external parties, right? So at that enterprise level, and I do know 
that the enterprise applications, right, of healthcare records, educational records, aren't sort of the sort of the hot topics right now. But on an enterprise level, that is how and where blockchain will enter the everyday mainstream conversation. Now, in terms of the enterprise onboarding or the individual's comfort level using crypto, that's a very interesting uh, area, right? Because on the one hand, you know, Bitcoin, obviously, it's the you know, headliner. It's the biggest, baddest one out there. Everyone's heard of it. But uh, on the angle of actually using crypto for, ev for everyday transactions, for, for payroll purposes, actually privately issued stable coins are the most common on-ramp for individuals, entrepreneurs, and institutions trying to better integrate, uh, integrate rather, crypto into their you know, payment operations or current operations at large. So it really is interesting, but I do think that blockchain will almost become boring over time. And that in terms of trying to have crypto being actually used by individuals, entrepreneurs, and institutions, it is not going to be Bitcoin or highly volatile uh, NFTs, but rather it's going to start and, and build out from trying to use stable coins for the mainstream everyday onboard. For those listeners who may not be familiar with the difference between Bitcoin, you know, altcoin or the more volatile, uh, volatile options, and then stablecoin. Can you give an introduction to those who may need it? What is stablecoin? Oh, sure thing. Absolutely. So, so the best way to uh, add some context to what a privately issued stablecoin is is to first emphasize that that every stablecoin, or I wouldn't say everyone, but the but the bulk of them, and I, and I believe in nine of the top ten uh, current stablecoins out there being traded, are issued by a private corporation. Okay, one. And then two, the whole idea of a stablecoin is to merge together, right? The upsides of having blockchain-based transactions, aka Bitcoin, right? Instantaneous, traceable, transparent, and permanent record with the lower price uh, volatility of a fiat currency, government currency, uh, and the U.S. dollar is the most popular one. Actually, 95% of all current stablecoins are pegged on a one-to-one -one basis at the U.S. dollar. So it's basically trying to have a dollar-backed crypto. Or a alternate, a alternate way to sort of view this is to try to, or is to try to integrate aspects of blockchain and crypto into the U.S. dollar. To basically update it so it's basically trying to create either a crypto backed uh on a one-to-one -one basis at the us dollar or i think ultimately trying to integrate aspects of blockchain and crypto into the us dollar sure i think for some of our listeners the way i've heard it explained is if you think of a money market mutual fund that's trading at a per share price of one dollar it would be a similar concept that there is a stable coin that is digital in nature, like Bitcoin. However, mm -hmm. it has a stable value of $1. Would you agree with kind of that very simplistic uh, picture? I would say so, yes, yes. That, but but uh, I would issue one important caveat there, that 
that all of that is true as long as it operates as advertised. And there and there have been several cases where where that whole operation hasn't quite panned out. But yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's further yeah. developments to come on that to ensure <laughs> that the stable coin remains stable. But um yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot more development here, and you're absolutely right. There will be some variance between commodity-like crypto assets, the use of blockchain as a platform or technology in different aspects of our lives, and then certainly this idea of a stable coin uh, mm -hmm. coming into play. Different swim lanes for sure. Yes. I know that you are uh, certainly viewed as an accounting expert in all of these areas and the implications that crypto and digital assets and blockchain brings to the accounting realm. Can you help our listeners understand uh, where accounting has evolved? What are some considerations that our listeners should understand? I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. So mm -hmm. uh, wherever you want to take the conversation, uh, feel free. Okay, so so there are two areas that I always like to hone in on. One is that on the gap side, right, generally accepted accounting principle side, that as of as of uh, the fall of 2022, right, the uh, FASB has not yet issued any crypto specific authoritative guidance, but as of the end of August of 2022, the FASB basically published uh, more uh, information and more details as to what aspects of, of crypto are going to be added onto their uh, research and technical agendas going forward. So basically, as of right now, there is no crypto-specific gap of guidance yet, but all but but the FASB is adding items like that onto their agenda to hopefully have some guidance out there relatively soon, hopefully, right, fingers crossed. Now, in the interim, um, the sort of general consensus under GAP is that every crypto asset is to be classified as a uh, indefinite, indefinitely live intangible asset, such as, uh, goodwill, which on paper makes sense, right? Crypto is intangible and has no if set fixed life. But on the actual bookkeeping side, that does raise uh, the two issues. One, that asset has to be tested for a impairment or a loss in economic valuation. And two, if that asset is actually tested for that loss in value, and that uh, impairment is booked, it's a permanent loss, meaning that I can never write that asset back up. So obviously, you know, uh, if you're analyzing assets like, like Bitcoin, that can easily create financial statements that under GAAP are not entirely accurate. All right, so, so all of the GAAP stuff is still basically trying to be sort of hashed out. And on the income tax side, right? Tax accounting, all of that is really a, a, uh, that's a big old mess, right? <laughs> is, that uh, the, is that the official term? <laughs> but, but that overall, right? So the, um, um, the 
main takeaway is that every transaction that involves crypto creates a, a income tax obligation, either for re reporting and or uh, owing income tax payments. So overall, right, any transactions at either your institutions or any external institutions that are involved in crypto, there's there's almost a 100% chance that there's a tax reporting and possibly tax payment obligation under current treatment, all of which is is uh, in the courts and being argued about as we speak. So it's important for our listeners to understand at the financial institution level, certainly seek guidance on how to uh, record any transaction and changes in the value. At the uh, customer level, really informing our customers that these are taxable events, despite what people hear in the news or see mm-hmm. on social media, uh, we, it, we do need to really inform customers of such. Absolutely right. Yeah. What other implications would you see, uh, Dr. Stein-Smith, a, a, a financial institution could consider just surrounding the market in general or surrounding some of these different asset classes? Sure. So probably a, a few of the you know, main areas that, that I hear quite a bit about and, and that, and that uh, I've gotten questions about are really sort of one, how do we start, right? How do we start integrating crypto and or blockchain into our institutions, right? Are we going to take payments from customers? Are we going to process transactions that are happening in, in crypto? Or ultimately, are we going to hold crypto assets or hold the underlying assets for other crypto assets on deposit for our customers? Now, each of those has pros and cons and its own risks, right? But ultimately, if that's sort of the sort of the first question that 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 I often get: how to actually get underway, how to get started with with blockchain and with crypto. One. But, but I always argue, right, that, that actually the, the true first question to ask or the first point to raise is, do we have the right coverage at that institutional level to actually cover us if we are actively operating in this space and or offering any guidance to our external, uh, uh, external customers on these issues? And oftentimes the answer is uh, no. And so I always push that the first thing to do is to, one, go over current cyber policies and to see if you have coverage. And if not, most likely not, add some, one. And then two, try to best, try to figure out where crypto and or blockchain offerings fit in your current product lines and or service lines, right? Because every institution is different, has a unique customer base, and and those customers have their own risk appetites. And so and so really that's a that's a case by case basis. And then um, three, how or or uh, or is the institution going to try to hedge against risk, against price volatility? in this asset class, which has proven to be quite volatile over its uh, economic life. And, and so I'd say those are just a few of the 
highest profile items that I tend to get the most questions on from institutions trying to get into the space. I think those are all excellent points. The fourth I may add is certainly understand where the regulatory guidance is uh, and what your regulatory agency is expecting as far as a financial institution's participation or non-participation in this space. So I think taking all those together are probably important factors for our listeners. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Regulators are incredibly interested in everything going on in this space. I know in uh, in Tampa, when you and I were there, we had quite a roundtable discussion on which regulators may ultimately uh, <laughs> see which piece of the market. So everything is in play at the moment. On the accounting side, do you have some idea of when there might be some some real understanding of where we're headed with how to handle this? Or is it is it a 18 month? Is it 24 month? Is it 10 year? What do you think it's going to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly hope it's not 10 years out. Um, but uh, but if the FASB is adding certain crypto asset questions to its research and forthcoming technical agenda, um, we hopefully should be having some authoritative guidance out the door I would say hopefully within the next 18 to 24 months, which is a long time uh, uh, in this space. So I do think that in the interim, that there might be certain tax changes that come uh, about anyway, and or I would fully foresee that there are going to be some sort of regulations either out of the IRS proper or out of other agencies trying to answer or trying to, at the very least, um, have guardrails set up for firms and institutions trying to operate out there. But, but, if, uh, but if I was to put a hard answer on it, I would say that over the next 12 to 18 months, we are going to have, to have more answers, more answers than uh, questions. Great. I know you do a lot of teaching and you uh, work with various uh, generations. Uh, what are some <laughs> of the things your students uh, ask or what do they see in this technology or these type of assets? Um, you know, what are some insights you can tell our listeners there? Yeah, so, so in terms of my you know, current students and that's in context there, uh, at in college, I've developed and I'm currently teaching the the first two ever courses that that are actually focusing directly on crypto and underlying blockchains. And I'm currently in the process of trying to get a full blown minor authorized also. And I've also guest guest taught and lectured at about fifteen or so colleges and other institutions of, of higher education across the US. Wow. And over and Overall, right at every institution that I that 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 I've gone to and taught at, um, every uh, course they are one hundred percent all in on this idea of crypto assets, of having blockchain as the basis for for how they conduct transactions, how they access information, and how they interact with each other and it's really important to keep in mind that basically anybody under the age of 25 at this point 
has grown up surrounded by Wi-Fi and the modern internet their entire you know, conscious life. And so, you know, virtual transactions, crypto transactions, dealing uh, in the metaverse, all of that is totally normal for them. And so I, and also it's always critical to point out that according to pretty much every research study that, that I have found, right, that the 18 to 29 age cohort is one, the most interested in blockchain and crypto, using it, learning about it, all the rest. And also that uh, exact same cohort is going to be a big chunk of the people who are going to be in inheriting the greatest wealth transfer uh, in U.S. history over the next 10 to 15 years. So, so combining that higher level of interest and the assets that are going to be coming their way, I mean, it's a real powerful, uh, uh, I'd say, tailwind for, for both interest in crypto and the importance for institutions to be trying to get up to speed in this space. I, I'm so glad you gave us that insight and, you know, you being um, in the teaching space, really having the, the large dialogue with your students. I think that has massive implications for our listeners who run financial institutions for two reasons. One, obviously, the customer segment. You mentioned mm -hmm. uh, just the familiarity. Uh, we haven't even touched on gamification and all of the implications uh, that come with that, but that these customers and next-gen customers are going to be needing, wanting, living in this type of service environment. And the second is for our talent and, and people and employees and staff. I think those are some of the big impl implications I hear from what you're saying. Uh, Absolutely right. I mean, the, I mean, honestly, you know, um, as, as commonplace and as often as blockchain and crypto are, are talked about in the, in the, you know, modern mainstream media, it really is still extremely early on. And so really there are a lot of, opportunities that haven't even really manifested yet. Absolutely. What else would you have our listeners consider on this uh, ocean of a topic, so to speak? <laughs> so so what I would say that uh, if I had to try to boil it down is that one, if you're heading up an institution, working at an institution, or you're in an area that is considering blockchain and crypto offerings, I would say one is that continuous education is key. And I'm, and I'm saying that not as an educator, right? But just as an individual who is in this space all day, every day, it's super critical to try to keep up, right? Because there's so much going on every single day, one. And then two, after that, right? After having that, that, that sort of baseline knowledge acquisition, right? Process basically underway. Um, the institution in question and all of you have to have to hone in on a certain aspect or a certain use case of either blockchain or or crypto assets right because right now blockchain and crypto are talked about constantly but both are very broad categories like the internet is an extremely broad item right yeah. and so from a from an institutional point of view or from people trying to get into it trying to use it 
I mean, you have to really uh, try to figure out which use cases or, or, or aspects of it are actively going to work best for you. And then three, you have to communicate, right? You, you have to communicate both internally and externally. And I'd say most importantly, to the individuals whose jobs and tasks are going to be impacted uh, if and when blockchain and crypto are actively integrated into your firm or uh, uh, institution. And so I would say that, that it, it's hard to hone in on any one area, but I'd say that, that having those the sort of three processes can help you and your institution figure out where to then allocate time, resources, people, all the rest. I think those are excellent points. Um, and maybe a good place for us to stop for today's conversation. We certainly appreciate you being on today's podcast. I know how absolutely busy you are, Dr. Steinsmith. So it is, it is great to get your insight here. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back again for an update uh, the next time uh, a spring arrives in the crypto market, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for allowing us to share some ideas with you. As always, reach out with any questions or comments. We look forward to hearing from you and having you listen to our next podcast. Today's podcast, we had Dr. Stein Smith talk about the crypto markets currently, the broad implications of these asset classes to accounting, and certainly some practical implications for practitioners, as well as those who run financial institutions. You've been listening to Bank on Whitfley. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and tune into the next episode as we feature insights from other leaders in the financial industry and even more ways you can stay ahead of the curve.